Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, chickens, and tellerites to episode eight of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, what are they? They are The Muppets and Star Trek, of course. And we'll be doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have special Muppet Show guest Peter Ustinov and the original series episode, Miri. Yes, I always like when we say we have have this special guest. It's like we had them on our show. It's it's fun. It's like they're here with us. (laughs) I wish. Yeah. He was fun. Yeah. So tell us about uh, who is Peter Ustinov. Well, no, that's the feedback, man. Oh, some feedback first. That's right. We have have feedback. feedback. We have two episodes worth of feedback. We do. So uh, for episode six, we had two responses on YouTube. Uh, One from Trap Country. And thanks, Trap Country. Uh, They say, lovely with a heart emoji. So (laughs) I think so, too. Thanks, Trap Country. (laughs) And then we have our old friend, some kind of Garf. He says, all uh, this is from the episode. What's what was before Florence Henderson? Who did we do in episode six? Uh, for before Florence Henderson was um Paul Williams. Paul Williams, yes. He says all of me was such oh all of me was such a famous historical sketch from this show that they cut cut it from the DVD box set. That's crazy. <laughs> I, and he says oh, and if you thought Mum and Chance was were weird, wait till you get to Spike Milligan. <laughs> apparently there are weird. some true weirdos coming up. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> But no one that's been like me too or anything, right? No, I don't. God, no, I don't think so. <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's our feedback. Appreciate it, guys. Nothing on episode seven that I could see, but uh, but yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Florence Henderson, she is. What Florence she is. Henderson was just okay. So yeah. I'm not worried about. <laughs> we don't it. need feedback for that one. <laughs> nah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the episode, and with that comes some context to special guest Peter Ustinov. Uh, and actually, he was knighted in 1990. So that's Sir Peter Ustinov. To you, sir. <laughs> True Renaissance man. He won two Oscars, Best Supporting Actor, one for Spartacus, served as a goodwill ambassador to UNICEF, and he was only a Tony away from egotting when he died. Oh, man. And I, one s- might, I was saying, as yeah. soon as I saw him, I knew I recognized him from something. It was just like I had never heard that name before, but I recognized his face and his voice. And what might you know him from? Uh, he was the voice of Prince John and King Richard in the 1973 Disney classic Robin Hood. Oh, okay. As well as doing a very short cameo as a truck driver in The Great Muppet Caper, oh. who Piggy throws out into a pile of trash where he runs into Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> well, there you go. So let's get into the episode. Uh, the show opens with an orchestra made up of balloons performing a piece called Pizzicato. And the conductor goes through the song, popping balloons to the tune and ends with the conductor's own head popping because he's made a real cool sketch. It was fun. We catch up with Statler and Waldorf who make a joke about music, soothing the beast animal shows up and physically assaults both of them (laughs) for fun. Meanwhile, we get the introduction to the backstage plot. Piggy enters and seems to be doing her normal shtick of doting over Kermit. And then she reveals it's actually Peter Ustinov who has her all hot and bothered. <laughs> this makes Kermit a little bummed out. Because we always have Muppets Kermit, like lusting after the, the host. That always happens. Uh, but this is the first time it's a guy, I think. That's true. That's, That's true. exciting. Kermit introduces Peter and reassures him that he'll be fine as long as he doesn't sit on any of his co-hosts, uh, his co-stars. 
and that he'll be playing a Muppet in the next sketch. He also reveals, oddly enough, that one of the writers of the show is a hat rack. <laughs> we find ourselves back in Muppet Labs, where Dr. Bunsen Honeydew directs a robot politician being played by Peter Yusinov, where it is jumping from being various world leaders and dictators and impressions before malfunctioning wildly and finally exploding. Backstage again, Fozzie is looking for Peter because performing with him would be the highlight of his career. Kermit seems a bit sad about this and tells funny Fozzie, well, you told me that performing with me was the highlight of your career, <laughs> to which Fozzie responds, I was wrong. <laughs> Following this, it's time for At the Dance. There are a few cute jokes, uh, the best of which is the ending one, which is the dance partner going over to the punch bowl and getting punched in the face. Mm-hmm. After this, Sam the Eagle takes the stage to introduce two esteemed professors being played by Fozzie and Peter, who tell this really long, drawn-out story that is all a huge lead-up to the punchline, a Benny shaved is a Benny earned. Oh, it's a long walk to get there, but man, is it, it is worth a it? long walk to get there. They do not tell jokes like this anymore <laughs> for a reason. Next, we get a really sweet, sad song from Miss Piggy. Really long title, though. Hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? Uh, the tempo picks up a little bit and more Muppets join in and sing with her. And it turns into a much more lighthearted musical number as it goes on. Backstage once more, Hilda is doting over Peter Yusinov after he compliments her stitching. Kermit notes that he has always thought that her work was excellent, to which she responds. Yeah, but what does a frog know? <laughs> Uh, you get you do something to me. A dastardly looking magician transforms the sweet puppet over and over again, giving them the body and limbs of different various animals. Finally, uh, turning the the poor subject into looking very similar to the magician, uh, at which point he blows up. There's a lot of explosions in this episode. That's true. Now it's time for a Muppet News Flash. A doctor played by Yusnoff says that he has found the cure for the common cold, which is this insane and strange convoluted explanation at the end of which he sneezes wildly and admits that he may not have actually cured the common cold. <laughs> Sam the Eagle is back to introduce Wayne and Wanda singing Autumn Leaves, which they begin until they are covered with a deluge of leaves, which drowns them out. Next, it's time for the panel discussion. Peter plays Freud-esque. German psychiatrist who is continuously misunderstood by the other guest, leading to great consternation by Kermit. Psychiatry. <laughs> Backstage, one last time, Scooter and asks Kermit if he can get Peter's autograph for him, saying he wants to grow up to be just like him. Kermit mentions to Scooter that he used to say the same thing about him. Scooter ends with another, I was wrong. <laughs> and and then the really sad, mean kind of line, would you want to grow up to be an international star or grow up to be a frog? Also, you, you skip the Statler and Waldorf losing their contact. Oh, yeah. There's a, a callback <laughs> to 70s contacts, like hard contact. Made out of glass. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, this leads to the final number uh, where Kermit goes out on stage and laments being green, uh, arguably the most iconic musical number from all of season one. Uh, we find ourselves at the closing of the show. Kermit laments to Peter that he has been jealous of him. Peter reveals that he's jealous of him because he always wanted to be a fry frog. Peter does his best-ish Kermit impression saying, we'll see you next time on the Muppet Show. <laughs> and uh, that's the end of the episode. Yes, indeed. Uh, so let's talk about the music of this episode. All oh, right. Yes. 
So pizzicato, it's actually an excerpt from a ballet. You've heard it in a Looney Tunes at some point in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ballet is called Sylvia. It's by a French musician from the mid to late 1800s called Leo de Libes. And he's actually credited with being a pioneer of modern ballet in that he was one of the first to put much more emphasis on the music, making it more than just an accompaniment to the dance. Hmm. The song, Hey, Won't You Play Another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong Song. Ugh, what a name. <laughs> Co-written by two guys, Larry Butler and Chip Moman. Chip Moman actually produced records for a ton of big names, including Elvis, Willie Nelson, and Petula Clark. He also produced the first album for the super group, The Highwaymen, which was a country super mega group made of, of Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and Willie Nelson. That's right. Uh, of them, Chris Christopherson hosted The Muppet Show later on. Johnny Cash hosted The Muppet Show later on. Cool. And Waylon Jennings is the trucker from Follow That Bird who says who sings Ain't No Road Too Long. Oh, I love that one. It's great. Ain't no road too long. And then Willie Nelson started an episode of the 2016 Muppet television show where he prefer, per, performed on the road again with the Electric Mayhem. So all four of them. Wow. Went on to do major stuff with the Muppets. What are the odds? You Do Something to Me is a song that actually was begun to be performed by Wayne and Wanda in the Paul Williams episode. But then, of course, they got stopped as usual. And you finally get the full song here, which is really cool. After that, there's Autumn Leaves, which the only connection to this is that I once sang this on stage for a theater production I was in. <laughs> what theater production? Uh, a show called The Loman Family Picnic, which is kind of like a sad, goofy musical version of Death of a Salesman. Right. Eddie Loman, yeah. Yeah, but at the end, it's the husband apologizing to the wife for like physically assaulting their children and then holds her while he sings this as blackout hits. Oh, it's goodness. real sad and, and dour. <laughs> Uh, and then being green, super iconic, written in 1970 by a guy named Joe Raposo, who composed a ton of the original music for Sesame Street, including the songs, you know, like C is for Cookie, Main Sesame Street song and Sing, which all became kind of standards. Kermit performed it a few times in Sesame Street and then twice on The Muppet Show, once in this season and then again in the second. Season. I thought so. Cause I'm like, I thought I'd seen him sing this somewhere else before. Oh, he sang this. As at Sesame Street multiple times, he sang it on tons of talk shows and guest spots. But this was the first um, one. No, this is, the first one would have been on Sesame Street, nineteen seventy, oh, okay. I believe. Gotcha. Uh, some fun facts: the Hat Rack receives a writing credit at the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, the song "Hey, Won't You Play Another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong" song is a rare season one occurrence of Frank Oz singing both the parts of Fozzie and Piggy in the same sketch. Wow. Uh, so, Jarman, what did you think of the Peter Usenov episode? So, you might think this is strange, but this is my favorite episode so far. I think he's the best host so far. Yeah. I think I, that's, e that's easy to say. Yeah. I was just like, this, he meshed so well, and I think it works better because he's such a talented actor. And what it reminded me of is when you have a great host on Saturday Night Live, it can really make or break the episode if the host sucks or not. And oh, yeah. And you can tell like they probably collaborate more if they are also have good writing skills because Yusinov is also a writer and a director um, and does all these impressions. And so it just it made the show really clip along really fast. It There was no real slow moments except for the purposely slow song with uh, Miss Piggy. You know, that was but it had a point behind it. And even that picked up eventually. Yeah, exactly. And it was it wasn't slow in a boring way. It was slow because it was supposed to be. Um, 
And that's what I was saying also about the musical numbers and the other episodes kind of can be a little slow and boring for me apart, especially like that Florence Henderson walking through the forest yeah, and soft man, focus. That was lame. But the thing was this, that they made the musical numbers completely related to the story of the episode. And so that made it just mesh a lot better. They weren't just standalone, meaningless musical numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's funny that last episode you actually asked me, does every host sing? Yeah, and then this episode. And I said, we'd eventually get to one that doesn't. And this one, there was no singing <laughs> from the host. And I really liked I, it. I, I absolutely agree. Peter Yusinov, I think I actually may have said this on one of the other hosts, that like you can't out-Muppet the Muppets. Mm-hmm. And Peter Yusnov is, I think, one of the rare hosts that out Muppets the Muppets. He, or he's just right along with them, at least. Their energy. Right, and- like, he, you know, when Kermit says, you're going to be a Muppet in this next sketch, he was not kidding. Yeah, and the great thing, too, I, I, I put this comment out that I like that Kermit says that anything could be a Muppet. It was like, for some reason, a touching moment when he said that. Because he's like, hey, hmm. anything could be a Muppet. You know, and I was like, that's just a really cool kind of almost piece of lore in the Muppet universe that like anything could be a that's Muppet. True. And it's a rare time where Kermit's actually talking about being a Muppet. And I thought that was interesting because I don't think that happens too often. And you're absolutely right again that this, I think, is the clearest and cleanest example of the A plot, B plot. Yes, it all worked together. Everything worked together. You got to see Kermit take a journey being knocked down and down and down. And then the end number being him becoming okay with it and accepting himself yeah was so good and it it's such a good flavor of i think what's to come yeah this episode was just firing on all cylinders and even that transformation musical number with the the dastardly magician guy those effects oh that's great those effects were great i was like for the time that was really impressive for like a this is a weekly show right um yes i believe so yeah yeah and that's just impressive for right they get that on there and also, who's the old New Yorker lady Muppet on the talk show segment? Oh, um, I don't remember her name. She doesn't show up that often, but she was really good. I liked her a lot. Yeah. So that's like the best her, talk show segment I think we've seen, too. It was like coherent, her, stuck together. Oh, my gosh. The panel discussions for me are so aggravating most of the time. But this is one of the times I really didn't mind it. Yeah. And then and then it caps off with it's not easy being green. I was just like, oh, I love this song. <laughs> so. Uh, it's really funny. Normally the talk spot is the make or break for me. And this episode didn't have one. However, mm. they filmed one because there's publicity photos from it. Huh. And even the intro with our special guest star, Peter Yuslov, eh? and the curtain opens and it's him in the talk spot with a bunch of Muppets, but it didn't actually occur in the episode. That's weird. And you probably would have been yeah. great. But photos exist. It did happen. It just got cut for whatever reason. Interesting. Well, but yeah, I have to say it's my favorite episode so far. It was just like really entertaining. I think it really, because it's the host meshed so well with the Muppets and just really made sense. For, for me right now, I think it's this and Paul Williams. And that's only because I love the music and the Paul Williams one so much. Yeah, that was entertaining as well. It was good. And he, he meshed pretty well with the Muppets too. Uh, all right. So Jarman, I think that takes us to the original series. Star Trek Miri. So this is the shortest title of any original series episode being only four letters long. Um, so we had the Enterprise gets a distress call from a planet that looks exactly like Earth. And uh, don't hold your breath because they will not explain that <laughs> ever in the episode. <laughs> All right. So they go down to investigate and they find it's abandoned and looks like it was frozen in time in the 1960s. But it looks apocalyptic, like it's been you know hundreds of years or something since anyone's been around or maintained anything. And as soon as they get down there, they're basically attacked by a deformed man who's very strong but seems very childlike. And they fight him off, and he immediately has a seizure and dies. Um, shortly thereafter, they encounter this girl, Miri, like an adolescent age girl, 
And she says that the Grups, meaning grown-ups, uh, killed the children and each other a long time ago before they died. Um, this was some time a long time ago. So shortly after that, the members of the crew that beamed down all start to develop these legions on their body, like a rash, this bluish rash. And Miri tells them that that's what happens first when you get this disease that all the, the Grups got, and they start going crazy and killing each other. So the crew desperately tries to find a medical lab where they can get some research to figure out what happened so long ago. And they find out that over 300 years ago, humans were experimenting with a life-extending virus, but it went wrong and killed all the adults. And as soon as you hit puberty, if you're a child, you get the disease and go mad and die. Um, and the virus was supposed to slow aging down to one month for every 100 years. So you'd only age a month every 100 years. And this makes the children that are currently there over 300 years old because there's no adults making new children. So these children have been there for 300 years, barely aging. Yeah. Um, so from the beginning, it seems that Spock is immune because of his green blood. Um, and he finds that the other crew only have about seven days to live after they confer with the, the ship's computers from above. And they can't go back to the ship because they don't want to infect the rest of the crew. So during this whole time, Kirk is being really creepy, weird with uh, Miri, the adolescent girl, <laughs> and trying to make her, her like him. So she starts developing. Yeah. yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, she starts developing feelings for Captain Kirk. And they're realizing that, you know, she's basically becoming a woman, as they say multiple times. So she's basically about to go through puberty. So she'll be in danger soon of getting the virus herself. So we find that there's other children on the planet and they're all um, also kind of led by this creepy kid named John, who looks like he's 35 years old, but he's supposed to be playing a kid. Um, and he wants to he doesn't trust the grups, the grown ups. So he, he says uh, we need to take their communicators. They seem to be talking on these things. And it helps them, you know, coordinate. So if we take their communicators, then they won't be able to coordinate. We can take them off out one by one. Um, once they take the communicators, uh, McCoy can't communicate with the ship to develop a, a, a cure for the virus. Um, and then Miri starts to become jealous of Yeoman Rand, who's down on the planet, because she sees Kirk comforting her as she's starting to go insane and get the virus and everything. So Miri convinces the other children to kidnap Rand, which will then lure Captain Kirk to them so they can take him out. And these kids are really annoying and strange and dirty. <laughs> so uh, Kirk shows Miri that she too is starting to get the disease. He shows a little rash developing on her. So she can, so it convinces her to help him um, to, you know, get the communicators back and convince the children to get on their side. So she takes them to the other children who have Rand and the communicators captive. Uh, they first, um, Oh, they first beat him up. They beat up Kirk. They start slapping him with like bats and that kind of thing and hammers and stuff. And he's all bloody and everything. But he finally convinces them to come back to the medical lab so he can help them because he tells them they're going to run out of food soon. They're all going to be dead unless he gets their communicators back and gets a cure for the disease. So they go back to the lab and he finds that McCoy is knocked out because he tried to cure himself without knowing if it was going to work because he couldn't talk to the ship. And he does start to heal and they realize they now have the cure for the disease. McCoy did it all on his own without the help of the computer because McCoy's awesome. Uh, so they <laughs> cure all the children. They go back to the the Enterprise. They call Starfleet, which here they call Space Central because they're still figuring out the terms here for the show. Weird. Um, and Space Central or Starfleet sends medical supplies, staff and teachers to the planet to help you know raise the children who probably now live out a normal uh, lifespan. So that is Miri. So a little trivia for Miri episode. This is the first of several parallel Earth plots in the series because they're contrived to save money for the, the alien sets, costumes, and makeup. So basically, if it's a parallel Earth, they can just have regular humans and it saves money. Uh, yeah, they, it makes sense. But they forgot to explain how it got there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just there. It's just there. Uh, a girl held by Kirk as he rushes into the lab with his uh, newly recovered communicator is played by William Shatner's daughter, Melanie Shatner. So that little girl was his daughter. Hmm. Um 
Although all the children on the planet die when they reach puberty, uh, the guy who played John was Michael J. Pollard. You've probably seen a lot of stuff. Uh, he was 27 when the episode aired. Um, and Kim Darby, who played Miri, was 19. So she looked younger. I feel though. so misled. I know. I thought, what a strapping 15-year-old boy. <laughs> he was 27 years old. <laughs> but uh, Michael Pollard is in a lot of stuff uh, throughout the years. And he's actually five foot six, And he's very impish looking and strange. Uh, so he's played a lot of weird roles over the years. Um the cool thing is the outdoor scenes, the episode, you can definitely tell it's a backlot, um, but it was actually used to create Mayberry on the Andy Griffith show. So it's the same backlot as Mayberry. So you'll see mm. a lot of similar buildings and exteriors from um, the Andy Griffith show. And kind of a dark trivia thing here. Uh, during the Friday night end of the week party for this episode, uh, Grace Lee Whitney, who plays Yeoman Rand, claims to have been sexually assaulted by a member of the show whom she identifies only as the executive in her autobiography. Um, and she was fired soon afterwards. And so that kind of led her into depression and alcoholism for several years. And she only returned to like the screen for, I think, the motion picture. She came back um, in a small role. But yeah, that was it's pretty sad. Yeah, I read up a little bit more on that. And apparently there were already plans to get rid of her for budgetary reasons or the correction. There were plans to get rid of someone for budgetary reasons. Right. And she, the way that she, her narrative went in apparently an interview she did was she's like, well, they're not going to get rid of Michelle Dickles because she's got like an important role and a specific role. Mm-hmm. There's two blondes and one of them sleeping with Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> and I'm not that blonde. Chapel. So I'm probably the one that's going to go. Wow. That's sad. It's <laughs> really sad. It really is. And then the, the sexual assault. It just, it just caps it off of just terrible because the worst part is, is I remember looking at the IMDb and seeing that she was only in eight episodes and going like, man, but she's really good. She is really good. And they why, had like, a why whole, is she only in eight episodes story? And of like why. romance between her and Kirk developing and stuff, but it just doesn't go anywhere. Apparently that also fit into it. They didn't, they liked the idea of Kirk having a different woman every week, basically. So the idea of a continuous love interest didn't feed into that. Right. And he wouldn't have the reputation he has now if that had happened. That's true. In a Star Trek novel, this is my last little trivia bit here, uh, Forgotten History, Miri's homeworld is described as being an alternate version of Earth from a parallel universe, which arrived in the primary universe as a result of a subspace confluence, whatever that means. It was eventually returned to its own universe by the same process in 2275, having been transposed with a Vidala planetoid from the same universe, (laughs) whatever the hell that means. And that's in a book? That's in a book. So that's the only place they've explained where this planet came from. Well, good. It makes perfect sense now. Oh, now I get it. I can it. rest assured. <laughs> so after all that, what did you think of this episode, Miri? Uh, things that I really liked. I liked that the kids effectively became the antagonists. I didn't see that coming at the beginning, and it was a nice turn. That's true. In that they were the victims, but they were also their own worst enemy. And I really liked that. Uh, I, I liked the drive of the disease. It gave a clear countdown. Mm-hmm. which is something that I feel like some of these episodes lack or really force. Right. This it was a nice natural countdown and nice natural raising of the stakes. Gotcha. Uh, you already touched on this. You really got to see bones be a doctor for once. Yeah. Really doctoring it up versus normally he's just kind of struggling to rationalize weird space magic. It's <laughs> actually very accurate. <laughs> uh, things I didn't like as much. While the premise was really good, 
I'm with you. I'm not sure it needed to be an identical earth <laughs> other than just to justify the sets they were using. Right? Like, it, felt, <laughs> it felt really forced. <laughs> like, um, and then creepy Shatner with Miri was so weird. Yeah, what a weird, stupid angle for them to play with a kid. They should have done it where he treated her very fatherly. And then if she developed a crush, that would have been fine because he wasn't trying to do that. But he was full on like flirting with her. It was weird. Right. right. Like if she had like a schoolgirl kind of crush and then right at the end of the episode, she gives him a kiss on the cheek. But if he hadn't responded that way, the ending would have been really sweet. When yeah. they're like, you know, she loves you. You know, that would have been sweet as opposed to like, oh, God, get him away from that planet. <laughs> yeah she loves you captain this is weird stop it <laughs> i wish we had gotten a little bit more time to understand the disease we only saw two examples and they didn't really coincide in that one attacks bones and then suddenly goes full mind of a child despite the fact that we know that these kids hit puberty before this hits so why was he acting like a three or four year old yeah i should have been acting like a 15 year old or at least a 13 year old and and then the other infected person we saw just attacks like a crazy savage and then dies yeah he like hits her with this um phaser on stun and she dies immediately so it just i wish once again i think this is my my constant critique for these i wish that they took time to make it clear what was happening right like clear what the actual stake was and what the actual mechanism was. That goes to a lot of the, yeah, you said like explaining the powers in other episodes, like with Charlie X and stuff. Right. Like what exactly are his powers? What exactly? <laughs> they just don't go into detail. Yeah, what can he control? I don't really understand. You know, that's a problem with like the Marvel universe a lot too. They never fully explain the extent of what powers each Avenger has and that kind of thing. Like how strong is this guy compared to this other really? guy? Like, wait, when the hell could Thor do that? Hold <laughs> yeah, on. Exactly. <laughs> it's a common problem uh, so yeah those are pretty many things I didn't like that much but that being said it was still a very enjoyable episode um, the kids were a bit much sometimes <laughs> yes. and I understood what they were doing they really did this Lord of the Flies kind of thing mm -hmm. which was cool and they kind of lost their advanced language and went kind of tribal but the issue is is that you know, like the older kids didn't talk like that. Yeah. Only the younger kids talked like that. Why? <laughs> the younger kids would emulate the older kids. The older Lazy, kids weren't talking like that. Why would the younger kids talk like that? Lazy writing and directing or just, yeah, not bothering with details. Uh, that and then there, there is a the kid with big teeth and a hammer that really just he there was something off about that kid. <laughs> I don't trust that kid. He was like Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I was like a child. Bam, 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 bam. bam, bam. <laughs> okay, kid, calm down. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, all right. I got some Trek connections for this episode. Beautiful. All right. One. Okay. This one's a bit of a stretch, but it's still interesting. <laughs> Shatner played Two-Face in a 2017 animated Batman film. Huh. And he, Peter Ustinov served as a Batman in World War II. And I had to look this up. Batman was the term for an assigned orderly to a commissioned officer. Huh. So like ran notes, took messages, attended meetings. That was, that was a Batman. I've never known that before. Yeah, I never knew that either. Uh, Mission Impossible with featured Ledmer Nimoy was actually inspired 
by the film Tokapi, which Yusinov won his second Oscar for. Well, look at that. Yeah. And Michael J. Pollard, who played the kid leader, was in a 1997 TV miniseries version of The Odyssey, which the Jim Henson Creature Shop did effects for. Ah. Bam. And there are your Trek connections. <laughs> How you get these, but it's impressive. I really had this one might have been my hardest digging I had to do. <laughs> I like the Batman one. That's really funny. That was just so interesting that not only was Yusnov in World War II, but that he was a Batman, <laughs> which is actually a position they've since retired. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, because they don't need servants for officers, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. There's that, only so much tea one man can get. That disappeared with Downton Abbey. And <laughs> Everything is Downton Abbey. So similarities. Uh, I got a couple. So yeah, hit me. Hit the first one. First one. Uh, both talk about a cure for an ailment at one time. The cure for the common cold and the Muppet Newsflash. And then the that was my first one too. Damn it. The cure for the disease and Miri. Yeah. So there you go. What's your other one? Uh, Scooter mentioned that he doesn't want to be grow up to be a frog, just like the children don't want to grow up to be monsters. <laughs> fair i went a little bit more cerebral like you normally do <laughs> so peter yusinov is uh the only adult human in a world full of uh people unlike him uh, childlike things muppets okay yeah and, I, I, I can't bore with that and the crew is in a planet uh, with uh just children who aren't like them they're in a strange land uh, this one is kind of a similarity, but not necessarily in structure or plot or anything. The monster who attacked Bones at the beginning mm -hmm. and the wizard's assistant look eerily similar. <laughs> they both have pinkish skin, ratty hair, and are both wearing pink tops. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's related to that creature as well. So a wild creature attacks some of the main characters in the beginning of each episode. Animal attacks Statler and Waldorf and the crazy man right. attacks Miri. What, what a similarity. Ah, man, so <laughs> many similarities we keep finding between these shows. <laughs> They're Who so alike. Thought? They're so alike. Only on Muppet Trek podcast. Only on Literally. Podcast. No one else is doing this. <laughs> well, God, what is that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. So this is part of the show where we transport one character or, or actor from one, episode, one of the episodes to the other episode. Uh, so... My first one, I have Peter Yusinov replaces Jean, the creepy kid leader. Um, I'd love it if they just had him <laughs> and don't explain that he's like a 55-year-old man. Just like he's... No, he, they should just maintain that he's still 13. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my transporter actor number one. Uh, I said switch Peter Yusinov with the infected guy at the beginning. <laughs> like attacks bones and then instead of doing the weird child thing, would do just a series of impressions. <laughs> As he struggled on the ground before dying and then exploding. And they had to be all like racist, like Chinese and Arabic, like he did in the episode. Right, right. And like Winston Churchill, and then boom. <laughs> uh, the other one is that uh, Miri will replace uh, Miss Piggy uh, in this episode. And her love of Kirk is very similar, I felt, and, and Miss Piggy's <laughs> love of Peter Yusinov. That's true. And, and equally inappropriate. Yeah, a pig should not love an old man. I, I mean, a man should not love a pig. I think yeah, that's yeah. a better statement. Here. <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> uh, I, I said take Bones and put him in place of the guest doctor on the Muppet News Flash. <laughs> where he's, and we've heard you've made an amazing discovery. What is it? You've, we've heard you've cured the common cold. 
No, we cured the common cold decades ago. What are you, a brute? <laughs> and just cold ass bones. I'm a doctor, not a medieval peasant. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So uh, I think that brings us to the end of episode eight of the Muppet Trek podcast. That's right. Join us next time for episode nine of the Muppet Show with special guest star Lena Horn and original series episode Dagger of the Mind. So from the lovers, the dreamers and us live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 